the beat of MK. This is MKFM. I'm delighted to say that we've been joined uh, by uh, Brian White. The name might be familiar to you. He was our mayor of Milton Keynes uh, between 2013 and 2014. Retired in February. Hello, Brian. Good afternoon. We're going to be talking uh, in quite some detail uh, about some recent news that you've shared with the community here in Milton Keynes. I, I wanted to start off by saying is that you was quite keen to do this interview. Absolutely. Uh, not because you want people to feel sorry for you, but you want to raise awareness of the organisations that are looking after you. You want to discuss about uh, going to the doctors early. Yep, absolutely. And a number of other things. So, well, If somebody felt sorry for me, it would be the first time in my life, <laughs> apart from my parents. Um, but uh, it's I've been around Milton Keynes now 40 years. I've been involved in lots of different things, from being MP to being mayor to being on the council to being a trustee of various organisations like National Energy Foundation or the MK Museum, lots of different organisations. And so I know a lot of people around Milton Keynes. And it was one of those situations when they diagnosed the cancer, I thought, well, what do I do? Do I just go hide away in a hole? Or do I actually start talking about my experiences? And if I can get one person, hopefully a lot more, but if I can get just one person to go to the doctor earlier than I did, then hopefully that will be worth it. Because I'd been having pains. Um, I'd always suffered cramps in my ankles and my toes and things like that. And you stand up, you relax, it goes away. But this time last year, I started getting internal cramps in my organs. And it was one every few weeks, and then it got worse, and it got worse. So by the time it came around to Christmas, I was thinking, well, there's something wrong. And as people who've listened to me on this radio show before know, I tend to do lots of different things. Very busy. Uh, Slightly. (laughs) And... uh, it was getting to the stage where I was struggling to do one. And that sort of threw up all sorts of bells and alarms. And so um, I went to the doctor and at Christmas I was 15 stone. And I've lost two stone, two pounds since then. And they went and they did various um, tests and couldn't find anything and carried on, did more tests. Then she sent me for an ultrasound. Uh, and so my wife and I went down, we did the ultrasound, and I'm I'm typically typical male. I'm squeamish. I can't stand the sight of needles. I don't want to see a needle. I don't want to see anything about my body. I don't want to see blood. I don't want to see anything like that. So I was cowering in the corner, uh, looking away. And Lena was looking at the ultrasound, looking at the internal my body. She knows my body better than I do now. <laughs> But they found some masses on my kidneys, which which they then investigated further. And they then sent me to um, have an endoscopy and a colonoscopy, which is basically stick something down you and stick something up you, Um, in the words of Dad's army there. I don't like it up me. (laughs) Um, But they they stuck it down, and what they found was I had a tumour in my gullet. Now, that happens to people in Milton Keynes all the time and they were really good because that, from the point where they, the blood test indicated I had to go um, that they were very quick and then I said they had the ultrasound 
next day they had a CT scan and the radiographer at Milton Keynes Hospital was brilliant because knowing my politics, he happened to just accidentally drop an SNP pen (laughs) (laughs) just to wind me up. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. (laughs) And uh, so, but that CT scan showed that the cancer had spread from uh, the tumour they'd found in um, in my gullet into the liver and into my bones. So the next Wednesday, so the next day, they... Uh, and basically, the tumor in my gullet meant if you had a, um, if your normal gullet is a centimeter wide, you get food down. Mine was a tenth of a centimeter. Right. So I couldn't get solid food down. So I was throwing up, and I was able to get liquids down me, and I was able to get sort of mushy food down me. But um, so I could have a, a Weetabix in the morning, but not uh, bread. And um, so. They put a stent in, which is basically a, a steel ring, which opened up my uh, gullet, which meant I can now put uh, semi-solid stuff down me. So you're building yourselves uh, back up again. Yeah. I know that we've spoke over the last few days about the transition that you're making from mush food yeah. uh, to <laughs> solid to, food. To almost getting uh, on solids. Yeah, so, um, but the next, um, the next appointment, which was on the Wednesday, that was on the... Um, Thursday night, they put the stent in. On the Wednesday, I was in front of the um, the consultant and basically he said, we can't operate on the tumour. Uh, it's inoperable because of the spread. And I'm very much a practical person. I said, well, it is what it is. Uh, we've just got to deal with managing it. Now, that, can, that management of that um, cancer can be from one day to 20 years and it comes down to individual circumstances whether people are fighting it whether people have got a positive attitude the support staff at Milton Keynes Hospital who are brilliant and so that's what we're in the situation of doing now how um, we manage that whether it's chemotherapy or radiotherapy which I prefer or some of the new treatments we're in the process of evaluating at the moment so and I've got an appointment next week to determine which one of those I move on to. But in the meantime, they've been giving me some morphine treatment at night, oral morphine, to um, counter any pain that I get so I can sleep during the night, which is something I wasn't doing very well since Christmas. Or And then steroids in the morning, which gets me going and gets me moving and things like that. And it's been brilliant treatment, The and I've... Um, if you compare me where I was at Christmas, I'm still down in the valley. If you compare me where I was when they told me that the tumour was there, I'm halfway up the mountain. Well, we met on Saturday, and even over the last few days, you seem to be brighter today. Uh, you do seem to be more positive. So going back to uh, fighting this and the battle that you talk about, you do seem quite positive. You've got to be. I mean, if you're not positive... The, w- the best way to fight cancer is to have a positive attitude. Um, yes, it's devastating news. Yes, it has an impact on your family. And in my case, it's incurable. That doesn't mean I'm going to die tomorrow. It means that I've got to manage my life in a totally different way. I've got to adjust to not being the way I was a few months ago. 
Um, it means I can't do the kind of things I would love to do, just still be on the council, still doing the representative work and all the rest of the things I've been doing for 40 years. I've got to adjust to not much more to date life, but a different life where I manage the cancer as the number one priority and then move on to doing other things. Um, and what type of outlook have the doctors given you? Really positive, and it's one of those ones that they don't know how long it will last. But there's one thing that's for sure. Not you, not me, not anybody in Milton Keynes is going to get out of this world alive. So it's only a question of when. Yeah. So let's enjoy every day. Let's make sure that I get the most out of each day that I can. And let's elongate it. And the longer I have that attitude, the longer other people who've got cancer have got that attitude that we can not beat it, but we can manage it. And we can have a quality of life that, um, doesn't have, that is much better than w when you hear those words. And that's what I intend to do. I'm going to have a good quality of life. I'm going to enjoy the next 20 years. I'm going to have a... Um, still, I've got ca campaigns to fight, whether it's stay in the EU in a couple of weeks or next week, whenever it is, um, or other things about improving Milton Keynes. I can still get involved in those and intend to, but I just can't be leading them the way I used to. So I've just got to adjust. This is a bit of an awkward question, but what was it like when they told you that you had cancer? What was it like when you first realised that you know, this wasn't something that could be cured with uh, some medication. Well, I knew from the first, once the ultrasound came through, I knew I had cancer. Uh, my hope was that it was benign and they could do an operation and then it would be just a question of recovery. And that was my hope. Um, a week later, I didn't have that hope. So, as I say, it's just a question of, well, I can't worry about the fact I've got cancer. It is as it is. All I can do is make sure that I enjoy every single day. I do the things the doctors want, and it's a choice. And I say, they don't know whether they're going to give me chemotherapy or radiotherapy or one of the other new treatments. But cancer research are doing so much work at the moment that improve uh, quality of life, find new drugs. You've got the support agencies like Macmillan Nurse and Willen Hospital, which, which we'll come on to in a second. Um, who give you that support. And there is so much... Uh, money couldn't have bought me the treatment I've had on the NHS in the last month. Now you hear so much about the NHS. You hear so much about the hospitals here in Milton Keynes. And from what you've told me on Saturday, not just because you're Brian Wyatt, our, few, our former mayor uh, or MP or uh, involvement no. with the council, uh, just as a person that's walked into that hospital, you've had first-class well, care. I made a decision um, that I wouldn't hide it. I didn't see the point. I said I did it for one reason, which is that if somebody else has those kind of internal pains or whatever or doubts, go to your doctor. And if one more person goes to the doctor early, that's benefit. So I did. I, I, it wasn't. A, it was a no-brainer, really. It's just well, I've got it. Um, let's see if I can help people. And. Uh, through my own experiences and so people see what not to do which is like I did run away from it and should have gone earlier um, or um, embrace it and just fix it earlier I think there's definitely a thing about blokes um, you know kind of ignoring it not wanting to go to the doctors but in my experience I've always 
wanting to go to the doctor. Uh, but what I've found since living in Milton Keynes, it's very difficult to actually go to the doctor because of getting an, a, an appointment. I didn't have that problem. The moment they did the ultrasound, um, the following day, the ultrasound uh, res um, results were in. Got to my GP at Oak Ridge, Dr. Hard, who's brilliant. At 10 o'clock, he got the results. 11 o'clock, he got his receptionist to phone me to set up an appointment. At 12 o'clock, I was in his office uh, discussing the options. A week later, I'd had all those uh, tests and discovered it. So I can't fault, and I, I can only praise the, the system working in the way it's supposed to work. And that happens, you know, as a... Uh, from as a journalist, and uh, uh, that bad news is always reported ahead of good news. But there's so much good news in Milton Keynes Hospital that needs to be sh shown out there that says it is a good hospital, it does uh, respond. Ignore the scare stories, ignore the problems, um, because they're a minority. Yes, they do happen, and they're terrible for the individuals involved. But the vast majority of people are getting really good treatment. And they've got an excellent walk-in service as well, haven't they? Not uh, A&E. Yeah. But if you can't see your doctor, then they've got the emergency care. So if something has been um, on your mind for a while and it suddenly gets worse, at least you could walk in there. Which I think I opened, to. actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it's a really good... Uh, if you can't get to your GP, go to the walk-in centre. Uh, there are... Or phone um, the... Um, one 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 number. Yeah, uh, there are plenty of options. The thing that I did wrong was to ignore it. Don't ignore it. It the earlier the doctors see it, the better the chances are of uh, fixing it. And did they say anything to you as regards as the period of time that you had left it? Did they say that if you would have come at this certain d no? So no, they haven't said anything about that. But again, the early I could go out. I could leave yeah. this studio, walk out get hit by the number five bus. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how much longer we've got left. All we can do is enjoy the days that are allocated to us and um, make sure that we get a good quality of life. And that means using the support agencies and allowing them to tell you what the right options are. And as I say, we have such good support agencies. Um, and one of the th problems is, of course, that Milton Keynes Hospital and the support agencies are underfunded, which is why we'll come and talk about the Will and Moo in a moment. But the, um, it is really important that the services are out there. They're there to help people. And uh, let's hope that more people use them to, and get a better quality of life. OK, we're back with uh, Brian White. Let's uh, talk about Milton Keynes uh, for a minute, Brian, you came in to me to see us at the beginning of the year, uh, just before you announced that you was retiring uh, from the council. And something that you said to me, and I've mentioned this to uh, a few people now, you said to us, you know, don't be a radio station that's broadcasting to the population of Milton Keynes now, which is what, 260,000. Uh, set yourself up to be broadcasting to 400,000 people because Milton Keynes is growing at a rapid rate. And even when you was mayor, you know, every time I saw you, you, kept going on about Milton Keynes becoming the size of Southampton, about the size of Bristol. Yeah, it's currently the size of Southampton. It'll grow to be the size of Bristol, yeah. Yeah. So Milton Keynes has got its 50th uh, birthday. 
what do you love about Milton Keynes? Because you've dedicated so much of your life to being the MP here at Milton Keynes, going on the council, being the mayor, which I know was something that you really enjoyed that year. And also working in the business community. Yeah. And there's lots of uh, activity going on in the business community, in the voluntary sector. Um, and there's so much going on in Milton Keynes that we ought to celebrate. Um, it, and the biggest thing I like about Milton Keynes is its attitude of mind. It is, we can do this. It's not a, oh dear, we hit a problem, we better give up. It's, we, got a, we hit an issue, how do we solve it? And who do we need to bring together? And it's that partnership that we have in Milton Keynes um, that allows us to work together to achieve a common end. Um, a story I always remember is when the uh, legal services were being reorganised. And the government was going around all these towns and cities saying, uh, we want you to be networking, partnership and all this. And uh, they said to the people, go away, work out what a partnership is, um, and then we'll go on to the next stage. And they'll give you three to six months to do that. And they came back to Milton Keynes and we'd set the whole thing up. Because that, that's our DNA. We just get on and do it. Um, and that's evidence from the Dons to the theatre to MK Museum and its new museum gallery that's coming. And all the other things that go on, and it's right across the borough, in rural areas as well as the city areas, that indomitable spirit says, I suppose it's a pioneer spirit a bit, that says, we're here, we're going to create something good for ourselves and our children. And there is so much that goes on, so much that you can't report everything. Uh, but there is something there that's going on all the time that we ought to celebrate. And I hopefully the 50th anniversary will give us the opportunity to celebrate that. And the stigma about Milton Keynes seems to have changed over the last few years. I've been in Milton Keynes since 2007. And it does seem that with a lot of the reports that have come out recently about Milton Keynes being one of the fastest growing cities uh, in Europe... Uh, about the investment that's coming here, the driverless cars. It really does seem as if the reputation of Milton Keynes has, has really changed. And also as well with the Rugby World Cup, obviously, Absolutely. that was hosted here and all the great events that we've had recently. We didn't get that by accident. We got that because we went out and worked for it. It wasn't a question of, oh, here you are, Milton Keynes, have it. We weren't on the list. And we had to go out and fight to get on the list and even when we got on the long list, everybody's going, oh, Milton Keynes, now you're never going to get it. And it turned out to be the best um, venue for uh, the Rugby World Cup because we did what we do naturally. We worked together to create a community, to create the business opportunities and to create the support networks that are needed to put an event on. And I didn't realise until recently about how instrumental you were in securing that Stadium MK was built in the first place. I'll leave Pete to tell those <laughs> stories. But basically, um, there were so many obstacles that could have killed it at any one time. And there were people who were trying to kill it, and still are, um, that it could easily have done. And Phyllis Starkey was the other MP at the time, and myself have got two different sets of skills. And she used her networking skills and her influencing skills and I used my contacts, uh, so I went to John Prescott and said, Oi, mate, you're not going to call this in, are you? And so it's, um, it was a question of all using our different talents, different 
um, abilities for a common good. And that's what Milton Keynes is all about. And it was just fantastic when you saw the stadium uh, during the Rugby World Cup on TV. You saw it full. Uh, also, at the football matches that we've had as well, with Man United have come to Milton Keynes. Uh, we had Chelsea as well last right. year. The one that I remember isn't a football match. Right. It's a rugby match. And you know I come from Belfast, so I'm an Ulsterman. And Ulster were playing rugby, and uh, they got drawn against Northampton Saints. And the Saints at home. The Saints at home. And the Saints moved their match to Milton Keynes. So the first time I got to see my team play live in over 30 years since I left Northern Ireland in the 70s was at MK Stadium. And that was a joy, a full MK Stadium. Me being able to sit there watching Ulster, although we lost, it didn't matter. But the fact that the stadium was full and uh, so many people from Northampton and uh, beyond getting so much enjoyment from that stadium, it is at the heart of the community. Let's talk about your year as mayor then, because I know that you thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, I, uh, I did enjoy it. Um, it came about by accident. Uh, I'm always accused of being a Machiavellian politician. That I, I don't just have a reason for doing something. I have about six or seven reasons for doing something. And it was one of those standing jokes against me. And after our defeat in 2010... We knew there'd be an election in 2015. And I wanted to be the candidate for the um, Labour Party to fight against Mark Lancaster. And I thought, what's the best way of getting free publicity? I thought, I know, I'll be mayor uh, in the year before the general election. Unfortunately, the Labour Party had different plans and put a women-only shortlist in. And I wasn't prepared to shave my beard just to get... <laughs> I was one step too far. Yeah. Um, but seriously, the party chose Emily, and she was a really good candidate. And but that was the that was the original thought. Okay. And then by the time they'd put the women only shortlist in, it was too late to withdraw. So I thought, well, I've got this to do now. I'm going to make the best for Milton Keynes, the best for me. And I really enjoyed the two years as deputy and as mayor. I think I helped a lot of people and certainly uh, highlighted a lot of community groups. And I was able to highlight big groups like Macmillan and Willen, uh, but also small charities who don't get the publicity, in, like Ted's Gang and, and Don Allen's um, charity and all those kind of small charities that are the lifeblood of our um, community but don't necessarily get the recognition and there are still lots of those small charities, rare diseases and things like that, in Milton Keynes, that deserve a lot more um, recognition than they've got. And the great thing as well about our mayor is that during that year, uh, you know, all the political side of it kind of disappears, doesn't it, to, to a degree. I, I know that you had one issue over the opening of the toilets down at the station. Uh, <laughs> but, but apart from that, politics doesn't come into that role as, as mayor, does it? No, it doesn't. And that was a... That was a mix-up. <laughs> and you get issues like that, and if you don't get issues like that, you're not doing your job properly. <laughs> <laughs> so after your time as mayor then, um, tell us a little bit um, about from when your year as uh, mayor ended up until you, you retired. Well, I, I've always been involved in the planning of Milton Keynes. Uh, I was what, the original chair 
of the um, committee to expand central Milton Keynes that created the building we're in, uh, into. So I was chairing the original committee uh, and the biggest uh, bin of my life was that oak tree as uh, we had to resolve those problems. But eventually we did and we got this place built. So I've been involved in the planning of MK for ever. I was involved when the, the theatre was going through, when the um, uh, gallery was being built. And Living Archive are coming to interview me next week to, to find where the skeletons are buried. And uh, it's been a privilege to be able to help a lot of um, organisations in Milton Keynes. And the skill I've got is about bringing people together. Lots of other people have organisational skills, they've got the fundraising skills, they've got all those different skills. My skill was about creating the networks, being the uh, catalyst for change. Not necessarily doing the change, but being the catalyst that brought the right people together in the right space at the right time. And so I've done that for a long time. And when you see some of the things around Milton Keynes that have resulted from that, it's just a joy to see it grow. Yeah, there have been mistakes and there are issues. And um, there are always controversies. But that's what life's about. I can remember uh, when uh, people wouldn't think this now, but the H5 across Willow Lake didn't exist. And there was a petition, there was a proposal from the Development Corporation to, put a, to complete that road which was in the master plan, but it was to complete it. And there was a petition of 10,000 people signed not to allow that road to go through. I bet you if I uh, proposed closing that road now, there'd be a petition of 100,000 saying don't. Definitely. Especially when you look at the queues on that road <laughs> yeah. uh, to the uh, first junction thing 14, first thing in the morning and, and late night. afternoon. But again, people complain about that. You go to Luton, you go to Northampton, the traffic jams in those towns are far worse than anything Milton Keynes get. We get 15 minutes of problems, 20 minutes of problems, half yeah. an hour, depending on uh, what day. They were. Friday's the worst. But you get that, and uh, we compare that with having nothing. If you compared that with what Northampton go through on a daily basis, then... Um, we, 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 we don't know that we've got it really good. So when you decided to retire um, at the beginning of this year, was, was it because you wasn't feeling well? You had, you had plans to go to Spain? Well, I was... I'm 59 now, but I was 58 at the time. My wife had retired a couple of years. Um, we, I knew I had an election in May. And... My original intention was to fight that election, carry on as Councillor for Stanterbury, which I loved doing, and then make a decision in four years' time. But the more we thought about it, the more it became, uh, well, if your income's going down because you're retiring, and, uh, then now is the right time to make that decision. So on financial grounds uh, and on um, health grounds, because I was... I recognised I was a Tyrion. I didn't know why. But I knew I wasn't right. And then there's the fact that uh, if, I'm, if I make choices then, 
I had a number of choices. If I waited four years, those choices got restricted. So it just became the right thing to do. So I stood down, and I'm glad I did because of where I am now. But um, it was it was a difficult decision because I loved what I was doing, and I was I think I made a difference to people's lives, um, particularly my own constituents, but the whole of Milton Keynes as well. So you don't want to give that up because you still think you can contribute. But every politician reaches a sell-by date. Uh, the trick is to recognise it. And I think I recognised that it was my sell-by date. Um, and therefore, it was the right thing to do was to step down. And as far as Spain is concerned, um, what happened was we were looking to downsize in Milton Keynes. Now, we've got a four or five-bedroom house, depending on how you count my office, um, that... Uh, is costing a lot of money in the mortgage. So to downsize that to a three-bed uh, house with a smaller mortgage seemed a reasonable thing to do. Uh, unfortunately, um, because my company didn't have three years full accounts, the, it, I didn't tick all the boxes on the uh, mortgage company's um, list. And we were thinking, what are we going to do? And then we saw this villa in Spain, which was a six-bed villa for £125,000. So a mortgage-free £125,000 villa with swimming pool in the sun. <laughs> it became a no-brainer. Sure. So we, we planned that and we went out to Spain. And I, I felt fine in February and March when we went out there looking. Uh, we found this place and we uh, went through and did all the... We got... A, we did it properly, went through a solicitor and they did all the checks and found a few problems which they sorted out. So on the day I was due to get the results from my um, from the CAT scan and from the, um, w which would tell what the treatment would be uh, and got told that it was terminal, uh, that it was inoperable and then I already got, was the day I was due to exchange on the, on the villa in Spain. So I, I had a choice that morning, because the appointment was about 10.30. Should I just pay the deposit before I go to the hospital, or wait till I come back? And I decided to wait till I came back. And so one door slammed shut on that day, because with the news, it just wouldn't be right to go to Spain and all the issues. So I, that dream went out the window. And then it became a, a new lifestyle, and let's see where we move forward from here. So it was, well, no point in crying over spilt milk. It's, and in six months' time, when I'm back fit and when I am uh, uh, got through this building up my strength and been through the treatment, we can revisit that and go out and look and find another property and um, move forward. But uh, it was one of those... Um, happening on the same day is just typical of me it's just incredible when when you think of the timing of it yeah uh and and i suppose in hindsight it's just as well that you didn't transfer the money and sign on the dotted line the day before or that morning well i could have done yeah and it yeah. came in the email that said it's all ready yeah. came in on the so there must have been something inside you telling you just to wait until you until you got back sheer laziness yeah <laughs> 